Good morning. If you got your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 5 there. And if you want to mark Micah chapter 5 and also flip to Matthew chapter 2, we'll read the first six verses of Matthew chapter 2. So Micah chapter 5 and then Matthew chapter 2. We're on the second Sunday of Advent today, and we will light the candle of peace later on in the service. And as you can see from the video, our theme this Advent series is simply Christmas, simply Christmas. So we'll read Micah chapter five, verses one through five. Verse one, marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. And then in Matthew chapter two, we see this prophecy from Micah fulfilled. Matthew chapter two, verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel." Simply Christmas is our theme this Advent season. And as we were thinking about and planning and praying over this Advent season, that theme is what continued to come to our mind because it seems as though each year we have to remind ourselves the reason that we celebrate Christmas. We get caught up in the hustle and the hurry of Christmas and all the celebrations and parties that we go to and even great things here at church in a busy season with with orchestra and choir programs like tonight that will be magnificent. And then next week with our children's choirs and student choirs, and that will be a great time of worship together as well. But we seem to get caught in the hustle and the hurry, and we miss the reason that we celebrate, which is King Jesus, the Prince of Peace, born in a manger, as in a feeding trough, as John said. And so we have to be reminded. And the reason that we have to be reminded is because we have so cultured Christmas that it becomes easy for us to miss what we're celebrating, the reason that we're gathering with family and with friends, the reason that we're going to different parties for work and for church and for other different re- things is that we, we miss the reason, that we lose sight of what we are celebrating. In, in our house, we, we couldn't even get to Thanksgiving before the Christmas tree went up. We didn't even give Thanksgiving the respect that it deserves. And part of that is my fault and I'll take the blame. My wife knows that we, we typically travel for Thanksgiving and she wants to come back that Saturday as we come back into town and she wants to start setting up for Christmas that Saturday. And she knows that after being on the road for most of the day and then there's good football on that day that there's usually a big game that day that we will, I wanna sit around and watch some football instead of decorating for Christmas. And I'm not talking about the Iron Bowl, I'm talking about the Florida, Florida State game. 
Um, but I, that she knows that I want to I want to pay attention to that. And so this year she was smart. And the weekend before Christmas, she said, or before Thanksgiving, she said, "Hey, why don't we go ahead and get the stuff out of the attic and we can start setting it up?" And I said, "That's a great idea." But then we were celebrating Christmas before we even got to Thanksgiving, and we have so cultured Christmas that we have to remind ourselves the reason that we celebrate. And so what I would like for us to do for just a couple of moments this morning, something we don't do often as a church family, but I want us to pause. And right where you are, maybe you've got your family around you and you wanna grab hands with them. You don't have to pray out loud, you can pray silently, but right where you are for just a couple of moments, just have some silent, peaceful time where we can remind ourselves and we can ask God to not let us miss what he has in store for us this Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's in these quiet, <clears throat> peaceful moments, calm moments, that we are reminded that after 400 years of silence from the prophets that the Messiah was born, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's in these moments that we are reminded of your grace, of your love, of your mercy, of the peace that you bring. God, we, we ask you to forgive us for making Christmas more about celebrations than it is about Jesus. <clears throat> that we lose sight of what we're celebrating. In the act of celebrating, we lose sight of what it is that we are celebrating, and that is the birth of your son and our savior. So God, for just a few moments as a church family, we can pause and look to you and say, God, we worship you. We worship you because you alone are worthy. And we ask that this Christmas season, God, that your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us that we not miss what you have in store for us. And we can say with the angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among whom his favor rests. God, we ask you to speak to us as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We all have those, those times in our life. Maybe it's a season of life. Maybe it's a short period of time where there is chaos in our life. There's turmoil. Things are crazy and our world around us is crazy. And all we desire is for there to be peace, for there to be calm in the midst of the storms. One, one such trivial example in my life, 
uh, was as, a, as I was in my last couple of semesters at Sanford, I was doing an internship um, at a local elementary school here in Birmingham. Part of my major was to learn local government and how schools fit into that and how the schools operate within the system. And so I was interning with a principal at a local elementary school and I would go there two days a week for the school day and would do different projects with her, things she needed me to do. And I'd go to meetings with her and go to school board meetings from time to time. And she, uh, one day I got there, it was a Thursday. I remember it very well, it was a Thursday. And she said, hey, she said, I need you to do something for me today. She said, we've got a kindergarten teacher who's called in sick at the last minute. We were able to get a sub for the first half of the day, but I need you to be in this kindergarten class as a substitute for the second half of the day. So from lunchtime on, I need you in this kindergarten class. And I'm thinking, okay, it's gonna be interesting, but I'll do it. So I go to lunch with these kindergartners and they're great during lunchtime. They're great. They're sitting there eating their lunch and I was sitting there with them. They were behaving well. And then we go to the classroom and we've got about 25, 30 minutes of classwork to do where they're doing a project at their, their desks and they're doing great with that, doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then it was time for rest time where they get out their nap mats and they go to their assigned places in the room and they're supposed to just lay down on that nap mat for 20, 25, 30 minutes and just rest. They don't have to go to sleep. They just rest. And at the beginning of rest time, they did what they were supposed to do, got their nap mats out. But then it was as if they conspired amongst each other and said, hey, this guy's young, he's new, he doesn't really know what he's doing, and we can just own him for, this, for the next few minutes. And so what happened next was just chaos. There was kids getting toys off the shelves. They knew they weren't supposed to. They're getting books off the shelves. They're playing with the stuff during rest time. They're asking me to go to the bathroom. They're asking me if they'll get, go get a drink of water. And then there's kids leaving the room without even asking me. I've lost control. I've lost, it's chaos. And so I finally, I'm trying to be calm. I'm trying not to yell at these kids. And so I finally, I just said, I, I'm gonna go get the teacher from next door. And I said it where they could, those who were in the room could hear me. So I'm going to get the teacher from next door. And so I walked down, it wasn't a long walk. I walked down the hallway just a short distance. I grabbed the kindergarten teacher from next door and we come back in the room. And I kid you not, when we walked back in the room, the lights are off. Every kid is laying exactly where they're supposed to be on their nap mat. <laughs> They're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And I look at that kindergarten teacher and she looks at me and I said, I can assure you that this is not what it looked like when I came to get you. <laughs> the, the kids who had gone to the restroom, they had come back. The kids had gone to get, I mean, everybody was where they're supposed to be. And so here's what she told those students. She said, for the rest of the day, you will do what Mr. Gowing asks you to do. Of course, at that point, I'm looking around the room for my dad because that's Mr. Gowing. So she says, for the rest of the day, you will do what Mr. Gowing asks you to do. And if he has to come get me again, each one of you will be in trouble. It was easy the rest of the day. There was peace. All it took was for me to go get the teacher from next door who had experience and who had authority to come in there and to help those kids understand that for the remainder of the day that I was in charge. Because for about five minutes at the beginning of rest time, I was not in charge. They were in charge but it took her coming down to establish that calm and that peace. And one thing that we often miss is that peace is not the absence of chaos. Peace is being able to stand firm in the midst of the chaos. That what we celebrate at Christmas, the Messiah born in a manger, is we celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who came to make us at peace with God and to bring final earthly peace one day that we celebrate this birth of the Prince of Peace who will bring final earthly peace. And Micah is prophesying in a season of turmoil. The, he, he, like the other prophets, were, con, were just concerned. They were concerned about the future of the nation of Israel and Judah. And Micah is in the south and he's prophesying in Judah, close to Jerusalem. And he is concerned about the future of God's people because there is, there is enemies to peace everywhere. 
The rulers are corrupt. Murder is widespread. There's envy, there's greed, there's malice, there's anger, there's pride. And where there are those things, those enemies to peace, there is no peace. And so Micah is concerned about the future of the nation of Israel. He knows that the Assyrians are coming to attack Jerusalem. He knows that they're coming to try to seize Jerusalem and that God will allow his people to be punished for a limited time. So he's concerned about the future of Israel. And Micah's job, along with the other prophets, was to paint the big picture of what was to come. Micah's job and the other prophets was to say, here is who God is. This is who God is, and this is what God will do in light of who he is. And so in the beginning of Micah's prophecy, he said, God is a holy, just God. And because God is holy and just, he will punish sin and disobedience. That's who God is. He is holy and just, and he will punish sin and disobedience. But as Micah moves through his prophecy, he said, but God is a loving, merciful, compassionate, grace-filled God. And he will send a promised redeemer that will redeem and restore his people that he will bring peace where there is no peace. And Micah is prophesying in this time of chaos so that God's people who are supposed to be God's people, but the godly are nowhere to be found. They're living in sin and disobedience. Micah is concerned about the future of the nation of Israel. But Micah knows that God will send a restorer and a redeemer. And so he says in Micah chapter seven, verse seven, he says, but as for me, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my savior, my God will hear me. Micah is not without hope and he is preaching and prophesying in Micah chapter five to the people of Israel to give them hope that a redeemer is coming. But as for me, I wait for God, my savior, my God will hear me. And so let's look at what Micah says about this coming Messiah in Micah chapter five. In verse one, he's simply telling us that there is a siege coming against Jerusalem that this was about the time Micah's prophesying about the time the Assyrians attacked in 701 BC. And so they are coming. This, this siege is coming. Jerusalem is gonna be under attack. He's prophesying about this attack that's coming. But then in verse two, he says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel. So the first thing we see is the insignificance of Bethlehem. The insignificance of Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah. Bethlehem was this quiet, small, out of the way town that nobody knew much about Bethlehem. And so why would the Messiah be born there? He was to be of the line of David, of the family of David who was from Bethlehem and Judea. And then when he gets to Bethlehem, when they get to Bethlehem, this small, out of the way, quiet town off the map, there's no room for them in the end when Mary is about to give birth. And so they go to a stable where Jesus is born in a manger. And you can see the work of God through all of this, that he chose this quiet, small, out of the way town for the Messiah to be born so that no, no city could boast, so that Jerusalem couldn't boast that look at, look at us, the Messiah came from Jerusalem. That Bethlehem didn't have anything to boast about. And then he chose a stable in a manger so that no innkeeper could boast that, hey, the, the Messiah was born in my inn in my hotel, my hotel, and God chose to give us salvation through this Jesus, the Prince of Peace, not based on anything good that we've done, on, based on no merit of our own, but based on his grace and his grace alone through Jesus Christ, so that no one could boast, that we boast only in the Lord and what he has done for us. The insignificance of Bethlehem, but the significance of the one who was born there. And then what we see in verse three is that there is, that Israel will be abandoned, that God will allow a limited judgment on Israel. But then in verse four, 
So we see the insignificance of Bethlehem. In verse four, at the beginning, we see that Christ will shepherd and protect his people. This Messiah will stand and he will shepherd his people as the good, as the good shepherd over his people. He will meet the needs of the, of the people of God, that he will be their shepherd. He will protect them. He will lead them and guide them as the good shepherd so that Christ will shepherd and protect his people. And then the second half of verse four says, and they will live securely and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. God's people will ultimately live securely through the peace that Jesus brings. But in verse three, we saw that there would be a limited judgment, that God would judge the sin and the disobedience of his people, but that God desires to restore his people for, our, for his glory and for our good. God desires to redeem and to restore his people for his glory and for our good. One theme that we see throughout the Old Testament is that God's people were disobedient, that they were, at, they, were, they were at peace with God in the beginning, then sin entered the world. And then throughout the, the, the history of the people of Israel, they're disobedient. They turn their back on God and they disobey God. And then God punishes that disobedience and the people repent and God redeems and restore them, restores them. And he makes promises like in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11, as he is telling the people of Israel, he says, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. I will restore you. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. God is jealous for his glory. And if he weren't jealous for his glory, then he would not be God. If he yielded his glory to another, then that would be God, not him, because he is sovereign over all. And so he says, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Isaiah prophesying about the same time as Micah. And then in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, he says, therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. God desires to redeem and to restore his people for his glory, not for our glory, for his glory, and for our good, so that he gets the praise and he gets the glory. And God would allow this limited judgment, but he says in Micah chapter two, verses 12 and 13, there's a promise of deliverance. It says, I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. God will punish sin and disobedience. There will be limited judgment, but in the end, he promises a deliverer, the Messiah that was to come from Bethlehem who would shepherd and protect his people. And then verse five, and he will be their peace. And he will be their peace. In a time of wars and attacks and sieges on countries and nation after nation, God says, and he will be their peace. There will be final earthly peace. Micah chapter four, verse three. Micah says, he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. There will be final earthly peace. God will bring final earthly peace when he, when all nations come under him and kingdoms praise his name and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. There will be final earthly peace, but there is a peace that has to come before there is earthly peace. And that is a deeper peace. And that's a peace between us and God. That what sin separated and sin broke, God fixed through Jesus. 
that we had to be made at peace with God before there can be peace on earth. And so there will be peace, on, there will be earthly peace, but there's a deeper peace. And Micah had experienced this peace. He knew the promises of God. And so he says towards the end of his prophecy in Micah chapter seven, verse 18 and 19, he said, who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. God will have compassion. He brings forgiveness through the Messiah. He is merciful. And so because of the coming Prince of Peace, we can be at peace with God. Isaiah prophesying about the same time as Micah prophesies about this coming Prince of Peace. And he says, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Micah and Isaiah both pointing to the coming of the Prince of Peace. And Micah says, and he will be their peace, which would have been a welcomed word to the people of Israel in Micah's day. And it's a welcome word to us today that he is the Prince of Peace. Jesus, the Messiah born in a manger during his ministry here on earth in John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus gives us his peace. The Prince of Peace, when we put our faith in Christ, the Prince of Peace dwells within us and we have his peace. Peace that is not based on good circumstances. The only peace of mind that this world can give us is peace based on good circumstances. When things are going well, we have peace of mind, but what about when things go bad? What about in bad circumstances? It's then that we turn to the peace of Christ, that we can stand firm in the midst of this chaos, that we have the Prince of Peace dwelling within us that Isaiah prophesied about. And Jesus says, my peace I give to you. And then Paul, the apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does that mean for us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? It, when Micah says, and he will be their peace. And Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's when we view all of life through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he came to give us peace between God and man. Not because we deserved it, but because God is good and God loved us. And he said, I need for there to be a way for my people to be made right with me. They're sinful, they're disobedient. I'll send the Prince of Peace who will make us at peace with God. And so he forgives our sin by his grace and his grace alone through Christ's blood shed on the cross. And when we view life through the lens of the gospel, then the peace of Christ reigns and rules in our hearts. But Paul doesn't says, make the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He says, let it. As his followers, we have the peace of Christ in us, but how do we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? I wanna give four quick ways that we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. The first one is that we trust in the Lord with all our heart. As Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That if we want the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, it begins with a trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A surrendering all of us to him, to let him be Lord of our life. 
And there, there are those of us in this room who we have, we put our faith in Christ many years ago. We said yes to Jesus and we surrendered our life to him and he is Lord of our life. But there's a daily surrender that has to happen. When we wake up in the morning and we begin our day, we're naturally selfish. We, we tend toward our sinful nature. So we have to say to Christ, Christ, I surrender all to you today that daily dying to self and surrender him, trusting in him with all our heart and not leaning on our own understanding and looking for peace in things of this world, but leaning on his understanding and his peace which transcends all understanding. That we look to him and say, I trust in you. And then there's some in this room who haven't, you haven't trusted in the Lord. You haven't put your faith in him. And so your life may be filled with chaos and with turmoil and peace. And what you desire is peace and that peace that can only come through Jesus. As the passage that John looked at from C.S. Lewis, where he says, if you find yourself unsatisfied and looking for something outside of this world that nothing in this world will satisfy, could be that we were created for another world. That there is this peace that Jesus, the bread of life brings, that when we eat of that bread of life, we're not hungry anymore. So we trust in the Lord with all our heart. And then the second thing is we spend time in God's word. Spend time in God's word. And I hesitated to even put this in here as one of these because this sounds trivial and it sounds elementary and it sounds like something that we say all the time, but then I was reminded of how often I neglect to spend time in God's word. So the question came, how can I spend time in God's word? How can I, how can I let the peace of Christ rule in my heart when I'm not spending time in his word seeking to know who this Prince of Peace is and who this God is that sent the Prince of Peace? So we, we spend time in God's word and if you don't have a good plan of spending time in God's word daily, if you don't have that plan to spend time with him day in and day out, I'd encourage you to go to our church website. And on our church website, there's a place that is called Equipping Center. And when you click on Equipping Center, it'll take you to some links. And one of those is a place to find daily Bible reading plans. And there's several options on there and you can find the one that works best for you. However you wanna receive that, you can have them emailed to you or you can print them out. You can have, there's apps on your phone or, or, or iPad or device where you can look those up, whatever works best for you. But the key is to have a, a daily plan to spend time in God's word, letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. So we trust in the Lord with all our heart. We spend time in his word. And then the third thing is we make his word central in our celebrations, especially here at Christmas time. That because we often miss this, the reason for this season. We often miss why we're celebrating so much and what we are celebrating at this time. But if we keep his word central in our celebrations, in our gatherings with family and with friends, then it reminds us of what we're celebrating. From as long ago as I can remember, probably when I was five or six years old until 2003, when my grandfather passed away at age 93, every Christmas Eve, as we were gathered together with my mom's side of the family, aunts and uncles and cousins, and we would go to our church's Christmas Eve service, and then we would go to my grandparents for dinner. My grandfather, we'd gather in the living room before everybody left, and my grandfather would read from Luke chapter 2 that as the patriarch of our family, he was saying, this is why we're celebrating. We're celebrating the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, born in a manger, and he didn't want us to lose sight of that. He knew that what my sister and I, what my other cousins, what we were excited about was presence, not focusing on who Jesus is and the fact that the Prince of Peace is the birth, whose birth we're celebrating this time of year. So make his word central in celebrations. And then the last thing, the fourth thing, is carve out time for prayer reflecting on who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. That at this season, that's why I want us to pause for just a couple of moments at the beginning of our time together where we could be reminded 
of who Jesus is. We could reflect on who he is and we could say to God, God, we need you. We will miss what you have in store for us this Christmas season if we don't surrender to him. So when we go to him in prayer, we're saying, God, we need you. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs after you that we need him. And when we go to him in prayer, we're expressing that need to him, that we are dependent on him for the next breath that we take, for the next step that we take. And so we carve out time for prayer, reflecting on who God is and what he's done in our life. A good good friend of mine and I were talking not too long ago and we were just talking about how life gets busy. He's got three kids and he was telling me that where he finds time to pray and to spend time in God's word, that his plan for every day is after he gets kids dropped off at school and he drives to his office, when he pulls into the parking lot at his office, he's got his Bible there in the car with him. He parks his car and before he gets out of the car to go into the office and the busyness and the chaos of the day that is ahead of him, he opens his Bible and he spends 10, 15, 20 minutes reading God's word. And spending time in prayer, saying to God, God, I need you today. I surrender all to you today. And that's what it looks like to carve out time for prayer and Bible study and make that a priority in our life so that we can let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Micah prophesied some 800 years before the Messiah was coming. In a time of turmoil, in a time of chaos, and he said, and he will be their peace. He will be our peace. And what a welcome word that was to people in Micah's day, to the nation of Israel and Judah who were under siege, that he would be their peace. And Jesus, born in a manger, in a time of chaos where Herod and the people were concerned about this birth. And so it's a time of, 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 de- of chaos and turmoil in Jesus' day and the Messiah entered the world in a manger in an out-of-the-way town but it was a welcome time for the Messiah to come, but many people missed it. And many people miss it today. Church family, as we seek for that very simple prayer this Christmas season to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, let's not miss what God has in store for us. Let's stay focused on the reason that we celebrate Christmas and let's point others, those people that you and I know that need to experience peace through Jesus Christ, let's point them to find that peace through Jesus Christ, the Prince of peace. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that that you are a God that in the midst of busyness and in the midst of chaos, that through you we find peace. That God, you loved us enough that you sent Jesus, your only son, to bring peace where there was no peace to die on a cross and shed his blood so that the greatest enemy of peace, sin, could be forgiven. And he conquered death and he conquered sin once and for all and it's his birth at this Christmas time that we celebrate. And God, we don't wanna miss what you have in store for us. We pray that you help us to let your peace rule in our hearts. So that in the midst of the storms and the chaotic seasons of this life, God, that we find peace through Jesus. Peace that's not based on good circumstances or bad circumstances, but peace that allows us to stand firm in the midst of storms and in the midst of chaos. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, the gift of salvation from sin and the gift of eternal life for which we long and which we hope for. Thank you for the peace that you bring. 
It's in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, I pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you've never said yes to the Prince of Peace, maybe today is the day you want to do that. Or maybe you just need to talk and and pray with somebody. We'll have staff down front this morning. We would love to have that opportunity to talk with you about a relationship with Christ or to pray with you about whatever storm it is that you may be dealing with, whatever season of chaos you may be dealing with. As we worship and sing together, we'll have staff down here at the front and we would love to have the opportunity to talk and pray with you. The invitation is open. Let's worship together.